sermon series titled Revelation Revealed, going through uh, the book of Revelation. And we come to Revelation chapter 13 today, and the message is titled The Antichrist. And apparently YouTube already blocked our, our message, flagged it as inappropriate once. So Jordan got that back up, and hopefully that's, that's working. It didn't like us putting the Antichrist on the web. Uh, but today we're going to be in the first half of chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13, and we'll see the beast from the sea that's also called the Antichrist. And then next week we'll be looking at a second beast, a beast from the earth that is known as the false prophet. So Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, these three form what's commonly referred to as uh, the unholy trinity. In other words, the opposite of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But you know that this coming of the Antichrist, this Antichrist figure, has, was prophesied some 700 years before Christ was even born. Uh, if you've got a finger in Revelation, you have your Bible open in Revelation, put a finger there and turn to Daniel for just a minute, the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're going to look at about three different passages in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, this figure was prophesied. There's a 70 weeks prophecy about the end times. And we're in uh, to getting into that period here in Revelation uh, chapter 13. And again, this was a vision that God gave to Daniel 700 years before Christ even came to earth. So some 2,700 years ago from today, this prophecy was given. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, 70 weeks, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. There's a time period that God has determined, okay? Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be 70, uh, excuse me, seven weeks and 62 weeks. So this was a prophecy about the time that Jesus would come. And the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, which has taken place, but not for himself. And then this turns into... He, a prophecy about the Antichrist. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant. This is about the Antichrist. With many for one week. That's seven years. But in the middle of the week, which is where we're at in Revelation 13. This is in the middle of the tribulation. He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. There's a lot more we could do here in Daniel 9 to unpack it, but I want you to understand that this 70th week described in verse 27 is a prophecy about the seven-year tribulation at the end of time. And in that verse, Daniel is referring to the Antichrist and his role in the tribulation. So the Antichrist will rise to power and he'll make a covenant. In other words, he'll appear to be the leader the world needs. He'll appear at the first half of the tribulation to be the good guy. He's going to fix all our problems. But halfway through the tribulation, he'll break his covenant 
and he will be revealed. The truth will be revealed that he is a bloodthirsty world tyrant that is set against and despises the people of God. And that's where we pick up in Revelation chapter 13. And as I said before, uh, weeks ago, it's likely that Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 12, and Revelation chapter 13 are about the same time period, but just from different perspectives, kind of like the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But this is mid-tribulation that we're looking at. And it is a time when evil will be on the rise. It will seem as if evil will win. But we must always remember it is the purposes of God that will prevail. So turn with me to Revelation 13, verses 1 through 3. Let's start off there. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, that's Satan, gave him power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. That's except the people of God. We'll see that later. Now, in Revelation chapter 11, a beast ascended, if you remember, from the bottomless pit and killed the two witnesses. And here in Revelation 13, we see two beast and the first beast comes from the sea and this is the antichrist the antichrist is pictured as having how many heads seven heads and ten horns and each of the seven heads has a blasphemous name written on it and each of the ten horns have a crown on them now look we must understand this is figurative language The Antichrist will be a human being, not some multi-headed dragon monster out of a sci-fi movie. The the Antichrist will be a human being empowered by Satan, yes. And the power that he receives is laid out for us, is described in this symbolic, this imagery that we've just read. In fact, again, I've said before to understand the 66, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, you have to have some understanding of the first 65. And this is another instance where Daniel helps us understand Revelation. So look again, if you were in Daniel before, go back to Daniel chapter 7 this time. And we're going to see how Daniel 7 actually helps us understand Revelation 13. And eventually when we get to Revelation 17, that will explain it even further. But, but. Daniel 7 helps us understand this imagery of the Antichrist. Revelation, excuse me, Daniel 7, beginning at verse 1, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while he was on bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The great what? Remember the beast came out of the sea? The great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. Suddenly, another beast, a second like a bear. It was raised up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said, it, said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another like a leopard. 
which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Again, without getting into all the details of this, let me give you the overview. In Daniel's vision, the lion represented Babylon, a kingdom in time, in history. The bear represented the Medo-Persian Empire, and the leopard represented the Greek Empire. The fourth beast that was different than the others was about a kingdom that would come in Daniel's day. That in Daniel's day, it was still a kingdom to come, excuse me, and it's still the case in our day. It's about a kingdom that would come. And there are allusions to the Roman Empire, but again, this is about a future kingdom that will still arise. And Daniel chapter 7, verse 23 to 27 gives even more information about this. Just look at these verses and we'll We'll jump back into Revelation. Daniel 7, verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom. So here it is being explained more. On the earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. Wow. Trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are what? what? Here's the, here it's being described here. The ten horns are ten kings. Who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand. Does this sound like the book of Revelation? For a time and times and half a time. What is that? That's three and a half years. Again, it's the time period that we're looking at here, this mid-tribulation, this back half of the tribulation, in fact. Look at verse 26. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion. See, his end is going to come. To consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. You see, God's people are going to be vindicated. His kingdom, that's God's kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. It's amazing that God gave this prophecy to Daniel that so just lays right in there with the book of Revelation. Again, speaking to a God who is ruling over all of his creation. But again, it's a little hard to understand. I think Warren Wearsby, he provided a very easy-to-grasp explanation of Revelation 13. Let me, let me give you this, and we're going to move on. The seven heads represent seven mountains. And since Rome was built on seven hills, this must be a veiled reference to that powerful city. It would be a most meaningful illusion in John's day. The ten horns represent ten kingdoms. It appears the beast will head a, quote, United States of Europe, a revived Roman Empire, before taking over as a world dictator. All nations will no doubt admire and thank him for the peace he has achieved, little realizing the sorrow and destruction he will bring to the world. Now, the, the only part where I differ with Warren Wiersbe is that we don't know what ten nations 
will rise up in conjunction with the beast. It, it could include America or European countries, or it may not. But we know this, that there are ten nations that will side with the beast, and this, this demonically empowered, this satanic figure, the beast, will have these ten nations with him that will give power to the beast in such a way that he will rule over the world. He'll be a world dictator. And that brings us to our first point today. Even the most powerful nations of the world are subject to the kingdom of God. And they're all playing their role in God's redemptive plan. You see, God's purpose in the end is redemption, not destruction. To deliver us and to bring us home to all who call upon Jesus Christ. And even though it seems like evil might be triumphing, we must understand that even the evil kingdoms of the world, even when the beast arises and the ten kingdoms give them power over the world, guess what? Even when that takes place, they're still only doing that because it is a part of God's plan. God is still in control. We live in a world where wars and rumors of wars are every day. And since the death and burial and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we are living in the end times. Because the next event on God's calendar is what we've been studying, the return of Jesus and all of these events. So while at times it may seem like there's a nation or a group that takes power and is in control, we need to remember that there is a God who is the one that is truly reigning over all the kingdoms of this world. You know, I don't think it's any coincidence, based on what is going on in our world, that there is a country, Russia, that has invaded another country. A sovereign nation has been invaded. In modern times, right now, there is a war going on where one nation said, hey, we want to take over that nation. It's crazy that this is happening. And I just happened to be preaching out of Revelation 13 about this. And I just happened to have two good friends of mine they're actually missionaries and have been missionaries in Ukraine for 16 years, raising their children there. Their oldest is at John Brown University in Arkansas now, but their other kids are with them in Ukraine. I sent out the prayer request from some of them, uh, some of their prayer requests through Joy Swetnam. But I went to middle school and high school with Tyler and, and Kelly. It was Kelly Green at that time, Tyler Sanderford. We went through middle school and high school together and stayed friends after high school. I mean, Tyler was one of my very good friends. I was in their wedding, in fact. In fact, just this last year, we had a Zoom call, the bridesmaids and the groomsmen that were in their wedding for their 20th uh, wedding anniversary. So, I mean, I just Zoomed them uh, late this last year and was talking to them as they were in Kiev. Uh, in Kiev, I guess it's called now. They used to call it Kiev, but they're rejecting that Russian pronunciation and pronunciation and it's called Kiev. but Tyler and Kelly served lived with their kids right there in Kiev, and a few days ago had to abandon go to the countryside to get out they've got a little what they call a pink house it's kind of like an adobe country house outside but they're still in the country and he's been sending me updates and and what's going on in this world and as I was looking at Revelation 13 I thought an update he sent out this morning was so appropriate. And understand, uh, these, are, these are Americans that are missionaries with navigators that are there in Ukraine right now watching what's happening firsthand to people that they love, that they've been serving for 16 years. And this is his perspective on it. He sent it this morning. Got it at 1.42 a.m. 
The night has gone. This is Ukraine time, 142 American time. The night has gone. The day has come. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Another day of mercy for all mankind. Without me explaining, grad missile launchers are very nasty. They're headed to Kiev now and should be there in about an hour. Please pray for technical problems. It's a little above freezing in Kiev at 9.30 in the morning. Snow is 40%. Pray that the grad missile systems would be ineffective. Pray that they would accidentally fall into pits or holes or maybe even accidentally hit trees and other things. Then he says, because people have been praying, he says, God is doing these things, guys. God is doing great things, guys. Keep up the good work. Continue praying. He is answering your faithful prayers. Then he says, no matter the outcome, the king, capital K-I-N-G, and Lord of hosts is there in Kiev and in Ukraine and in the Kremlin. Again, even the most powerful nations of the world are subject to the kingdom of God. And they are playing their part in God's redemptive plan. Do I have an explanation for all that's happening in our world today? Well, to get into the nitty-gritty details of it, no, I don't. Why do people do what they do? But I have a simplified, maybe an oversimplified version. Sinner's sin. That's the explanation. We live in a world that is in rebellion against God. People that have not surrendered to Jesus Christ live in sin, and sin is what they do. And we are seeing the consequences of sin throughout our world. But when we think about the events, again, that were happening in the book of Revelation, we see there is a God that's in control, and it's always been that way. And he's able to use what's going on in the kingdoms of the world, and he uses the things of the kingdoms of this world to fulfill his redemptive plan. And it reminded me of when Jesus was even born. In Luke 2, it tells us that Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that all the world should be taxed. And this decree caused Mary and Joseph to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem where Joseph's family had originated, right? So this decree sent out by Caesar Augustus caused them to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But this was not coincidence. God was being in control of the mightiest power in the known world at that time. You know why I say that? Because the Old Testament prophet Micah prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And so God needed to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and he used Caesar Augustus to do that. Listen to Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem of Paphra, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old from everlasting you see caesar augustus thought he was just issuing a decree in his kingdom to get more money out of his people he did not understand he was bringing about god's fulfillment god's will to fulfill micah 5 2 to have the savior of the world born in bethlehem again even the most powerful nations of the world are subject to the kingdom of god and they're playing their role in God's redemptive plan. 
But back to Revelation 13, 3, there's one more thing about the Antichrist we need to see. Let's just read this verse again. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. You know, over the years, people have conjectured as to what this means. I remember when I was younger, everybody said Gorbachev was the Antichrist because he had that big birthmark on his forehead. And people are always doing that. But Scripture does not tell us what the wound is about. And so, again, we need to be careful saying things that Scripture doesn't say. But in chapter 13, this wound is pointed out three times in verse 3. And then it will be pointed out again in verse 12 and verse 14. So there's, there's some significance to it. And, and the best I can tell on being safe with handling Scripture is that this is another attempt where Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are again trying to imitate God. Because did you know that Jesus, he's described as having a wound earlier in Revelation? Look at Revelation 5, 6. We preached this months ago. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. That's Jesus. But a lamb what? As though it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So again, I think this is the Antichrist trying to mimic Jesus. And I think if you continue on, let's read Revelation 13, 4. You'll see again that Satan and the Antichrist are trying to mimic God in Christ. Listen to Revelation 13, 4. So they worship the dragon. Okay, that'd be Satan who gave authority to the beast. That's the Antichrist. And they worship the beast. That's the earth dwellers worshiping the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? You see the dragon, Satan, gives power to the beast, the Antichrist, and the people of the world fall down and worship him. First, that is what Satan loves to do, to steal the worship of God. But second... What the earth dwellers are saying in their worship is actually a direct assault on God. Listen to what they say. They say, who is like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? Does that sound familiar at all? If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that's actually a theme. That is something that is said of God over and over again. That there is only one God and there is none like him. Let me read you three verses just to... Give you some examples. When God had delivered Egypt, excuse me, the Israelites from Egypt, and God had parted the Red Sea and destroyed their enemies, there's the song of Moses in Exodus 15. A part of that song is this, Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? This is also a theme about who is like the Lord in the Psalms. I'm just going to read to you one. Psalm 71, 19 reads, Also your righteousness, O God, is very high, and you have done great things, O God, who is like you? One more example, Micah 7, 18 reads, Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. You see, in every way that he can, listen to me, in every way that he can, Satan wants to copy, mimic Jesus, and rob you of the worship that is due God. And that brings us to our second point and our final point today. 
is this. Satan loves it when the nations worship anything other than God. Satan loves it when the nations worship anything other than God. You know what? It doesn't even have to be anything great. Satan will use anything he can to steal away the worship of God. In fact, let's put it on a more personal level, moving from the nations to us. Satan will use anything in your life that he can to steal away the worship that is rightfully to be given to God. Let me put it this way. Satan hates it when we worship God. Satan loves it when we worship anything else. It doesn't have to be something grand. It doesn't have to be something nice and shiny and big. It could be a little ball of lint on the ground. If I will worship that, Satan loves it. Anything that keeps me from bringing the worship to God that is due his name. Satan trembles and the demons of hell shake when a child of God brings worship and glory and honor to God. But Satan rejoices... And hell rejoices with him when a child of God fails to bring glory to the king of the universe. Listen, in your life, Satan's plans are thwarted. And he was reminded of his defeat when you worship God. But Satan rejoices when we're found worshiping the things of this world. Think about it this way. The very first commandment, when God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. And he said, now you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. And let's, let's put down some ground rules for what that will look like. So my glory doesn't just consume you. So my holiness doesn't just devour you. Let's put down some ground rules. What was the first one? First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. It is time for the church to cast down our idols and return to the power of God. That only comes when we worship God alone. It is time for us as individuals to quit worshiping the things of this world that will fade away and return to saying, you alone, O Lord, are worthy. It is time for our families and our communities amid a dark world to unapologetically declare who is like the Lord? There is none like him. It's time for us to push back the darkness with our praise. Let's read the remainder of our passage today. Revelation chapter 13 verses 5 through 10 and then we'll bring it to a close. These verse, verses read beginning at verse 5. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Again, this is the Antichrist. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Again, that same three and a half or years or 1260 days. This is the back half of the revelation. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. In other words, listen up. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be 
killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. That's where we're going to stop today. As we have seen, look, God is in control. But there will be a time when Satan is allowed to persecute the people of God, even unto death. But did you notice in verses 5 and 6 that the Antichrist, he'll speak great blasphemies against God as tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven. And he's going to be given, that word given, authority for 42 months. Again, Satan and the Antichrist can only do what they do because God allows it. And God will only allow it for a specific time. And there is coming a day when God will put an end to Satan, to the Antichrist, and those who have been persecuted by, God, by the Satan and the Antichrist for God's name will be vindicated. Notice the distinction made in verse 8 between the people of God and those of the world. Look at verse 8 one more time. And those who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. Of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Listen. The true people of God will endure till the end. Let me give you some very personal application. I hadn't planned on saying this today. But I believe this very much applies to our world. Especially... When there is persecution, the true church arises. You know why? Because everybody that doesn't truly love Jesus shrinks back when the persecution comes. They don't want anything of it. And in the United States of America, our Christianity has overwhelmingly become cultural Christianity. We go to church, we don't cuss. We go to Sunday school, we try to do the right things and live a good life, and we think that's Christianity. It's cultural Christianity. And what happens is, even in the midst of that, what we hear over and over again is, well, I don't have time to study my Bible. I'm not good at scripture memorization. I don't know how to pray. These are all signs that we're living in a world of cultural Christianity. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul saying, I don't have time to read my Bible today? It's a joke how weak cultural Christianity is. There's no power in it. Because it's just that. It's a fad. It's a cultural thing. But what happens is when persecution comes, the true church arises. And you know what the true church does? It endures Till the end. Because the true church has a relationship with Jesus. The true church is the bride of Christ. The true church is filled with God's spirit. The true church will bring glory to God. The true church will even rejoice and be counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. You know, verses 9 and 10 have been puzzling to some as we begin to bring this to a close Let's read it one more time. It says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. Who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Um, one commentator I wrote, read uh, summarized it this way. I thought it was good. He says he believes this is a summary statement of how the saints will be killed by different means. 
And it's pointing back to Jeremiah 15.2 and 43.11, which if you read those, I think it's very clear that that's what's going on. But again, notice at the end of verse 10, it says, here's the patience and the faith of the saints. The true church comes forth in the midst of the persecution. The saints will endure because they know God has more for them than this world can offer. The saints will continue to praise him because they know God alone is worthy. The saints will hold fast to the end because they know heaven awaits. We need that today. Amen? We need our eyes so stamped with a heavenly perspective that we live beyond what this world can explain or overcome and we do it for the glory of God alone. Would you please stand with me as we bring our message to a close? And I want to invite you to two things. You know, as we preach the book of Revelation, there are some difficult texts like today. It has kind of a serious nature, a serious tone to it, doesn't it? And I don't want to come across overly serious or overly harsh, but you know what? If you just take a brief glance at our world, you'll see how serious the day is. This world needs believers that are not culture Christians, but are true spirit-filled, word-immersed, Jesus-loving lights of the world. That's who God's called us to be, to shine bright for him, to shine bright for him. And so two things today. First of all, where are you in your walk with Jesus? Only you can answer this. Only you can do business with God. Are you consumed, so consumed with the love for Jesus that you'd be able to even be found rejoicing to suffer for his namesake? And I want to be there. That's where I want. I want to be so wrapped up in a love for Jesus Christ. Well, that's where I am. But second of all, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, man, we're glad you're here. And we're glad you have an opportunity to move from the powerless cultural Christianity to the spirit-filled life that comes through trusting in Jesus Christ. And if you've never turned from your way and put your faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of the universe, guess what? His arms are open to you today. And his word says this, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you will turn from your way and look to Jesus, placing your faith in him, believing that he is the Savior that God has provided, that he has died for you, that he has risen for you, that he is returning one day, that as you call out to him by faith, God will answer you, forgiving you of your sins, filling you with his spirit, making you a child of God. So again, today, if you've never put your faith in Christ, don't leave here today without taking God at his word, believing upon Jesus Christ, and knowing the power of God in your life. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. This is a song of response, responding to God, singing his praises in response to his word and what he has said. And I'll be down front. I'd love to pray with you, especially if you're here today and you never put your faith in Christ. Today is the day of salvation. Don't turn away. If you hear his voice, don't turn away. But come to King Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time of response to your word. We thank you that you are faithful and true. And we pray now that you would bless this time and that you'd bless it for the glory of your great name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.